Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 30th. End of the month means we are almost done with our first Grand Slam of the 2020 season, day 11 at the Australian Open, now officially in the books. Two unexpected finalists emerging on the women's side, one finalist on the men's side. I think it's safe to say all of us had penciled in to our Tourneytopia draws. Before we break down all of the action, I just want to remind you listeners that today's podcast and every mini-break podcast brought to you by our new friends at Diadem Tennis. Diadem, their rackets, their string technology on the forefront of all innovations here in the 2020s. And we're excited to announce very soon they're going to be dropping two new rackets, the Diadem Elevate and the Diadem Nova. We think you listeners, you know, a wand, a wand, see I'm so thinking... Um, already on that port uh, of the podcast. A racket is such a personal choice. It's the Harry Potter equivalent of choosing a wand. If you don't have the right racket, your tennis is just going to be in fits all day long. So we think Diadem is the people you want to partner with. And look, if you use our promo code CR50, you can get 50% off your first order. Sometimes when you're investing in a new racket, you're like, well, this racket better work for me because I just dropped $130, $140, $150. Use our promo code CR50, get 50% off your order at Diadem Sports. And again, thank you to them for being the title sponsors of this podcast. That being said, joining me today to break down Australian Open Day 11, you know him as the co-host of these mini-break podcasts throughout this 2021 Grand Slam, a former Denison men's tennis superstar. I affectionately refer to him as James Falster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini-break podcast. How are you doing today? Appreciate it. Now it's good to be back as always. This is our new rhythm. So now my body's used to it. My mind's used to it and, and I'm good. I have to title these podcasts to put them up in the uh, drive so that West Stuff knows what to edit. And I always think it's today, day 11, day 12, day whatever. And I go back to, well, how many days in a row have I not eaten lunch? And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's day 11. Yes, that is one way. And speaking of which, I am starving. So that's just <laughs> going to fuel me further uh, in this one. Well, the good news is those people starving for great tennis got to see that and more in these semifinal actions. You like that, Jamie? Hey, great Beautiful. shot uh, on that. And, of course, that's what we're going to be breaking down today. Three singles matches to break down. And then, of course, we want to preview tonight's men's second semifinal action. Let's start on the women's side because of all of these matches, I think only one featured two players playing their absolute best tennis. And that was our second women's semifinal on the day, Garbine Muguruth. Uh, knocking out the number four, uh, the number four seed Simona Halep, seven six seven five. Uh, before we even break down any of the tennis, Jamie, true or false? This was the highest quality match of the day. Oh, definitely, yeah, without question. I mean, the other women's semifinal, of course, we'll get to, but just both of them, I don't think played at a very high level, particularly in their first set. 
Um, you know, we also we obviously know about Federer. He was struggling physically. So, yeah, these were people who were locked in. This was a grind over two hours long. Straight sets, ultimately, but, um, you know, definitely could have gone three. And the quality of match really deserved, you know, the title and esteem that a three-set match gets. And although Ashley Barty is the number one seed, the number one player in the world coming into uh, this year's Australian Open, I think this was the semifinal. A lot of people thought these were the two favorites. You asked me yesterday, I had Halep and Muguruza, I think, as my number two and number three. Or maybe I had them. Maybe you put Muguruza too, right, to bait me? I did. I did. Yeah, and and I think after all, looking back on it, it should have been Halep and Muguruza one and two because these are two players playing their best tennis coming into the semifinal. Halep had yet to drop a set. Muguruza dropped sets in her first two matches, but straight sets the rest of the way through. Neither of these players got a day off as they both competed in their semi uh, in their quarterfinal match, excuse me, yesterday, and that didn't seem to me to be a factor at all. In fact, you look at it through the beginning of these matches, uh, both of these players holding. Serve fairly comfortably, and it wasn't until Muguruza took the lead, ended up ser- she got the break. I think at around three all, she ends up serving for the first set at five four. And then Halep flipped the switch, and all of a sudden we found Simona Halep up 6-5, love 40, three set points to break Muguruza, take the first. This was the sort of match that, you know, the levels of play were both so high that there were swings of momentum throughout, and it really made for fun tennis. Definitely. You know, it's funny, once again, alluding to our other semifinal as well, there were certainly some swings on that one, but in a very different context. You know, this was swings of people battling out and hitting great shots, grinding through points to get back into it, to swing the momentum there way whereas the other one was really just you know missed opportunities causing momentum this was the complete opposite um and so it just so many props to Muguruza for being able to not only get the first set but then be able to bounce back and take the second not make this thing even more physical into a third set yeah, so let's be clear. Simona Halep, she, again, had multiple set points for herself in that first set. Uh, she goes, she went down 6-4 in that first set breaker, but climbed all the way back up to take a lead. Eventually, Muguruza at 9-8 serving, uh, hits a big first serve, hits two really nice plus-one balls. Halep tracking both of them down incredibly. She dips a passing shot at Muguruza's feet. Muguruza makes the half volley as a drop volley. But Halep, the speedster that she is, she had a clean look at that forehand pass on that 9-8 tiebreaker point, and she just dumped it in the net. Muguruza taking the 10-8 first set. And just for Simona Halep, I think if you look at the court positioning for these two players throughout the match, Jamie, it was Muguruza being the one who was dictating. Muguruza using her six-foot frame, taking Halep's balls early. You know, she's staying closer to that baseline. I loved the way Garbine Muguruza, because Simona Halep is good at buying herself time to recover as any player on the WTA Tour. But whenever Halep would throw those high elevated shots over the net, Muguruza would take two, three, four steps forward, hit them as a swinging volley. And when you're playing Simona Halep, even giving her, you know, a half second less time to recover, that's everything. So I thought, you know, you mentioned in contrast to the other one, both of these players hitting through the court at all times. Both of these players going for their shots confidently. You look for Simona Halep, 20 winners against 23 unforced errors, but that's because Muguruza was doing a lot of the dictating, making a lot of down-the-line balls. For Muguruza, 39 winners against 44 unforced errors. I think the reason she won is she was able to play this match on her terms, and as great of a job as Simona Halep did extending points physically, when you're play- it's just, it's really hard in a Grand Slam semifinal to 
be the mouse in the cat and mouse chase for two plus hours. And in the end, Muguruza created just enough opportunities for herself to separate between the two. Yeah, and I mean, I think this goes back to what we discussed yesterday as well. We pretty much knew this was going to be on Muguruza's racket, right? That's the, just stylistically how this matchup goes. We knew it wasn't going to be Halep standing up right on the baseline, dictating, running around Muguruza. That's just not the way she plays. That's not the way this matchup goes. And just as we talked about yesterday, this was really going to be decided, okay, Muguruza, can you execute on the big shots? Can you take the time away? Can you dictate properly and then finally finish off those points? And ultimately, the answer to that question is yeah. I mean, Halep did a great job retrieving in this, made this match really, really close. But Muguruza was able to execute particularly on the big points, and that's how she got through it. I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I I don't think it's fair to say this match was played completely on Garbine Muguruza's racket because Simona Halep, as good as changing direction as anyone, she's going to lull you. You think she's going backhand cross-court again or forehand cross-court? Nope, she's going to unleash one down the line. She's good at playing a short angle to set herself an easy down-the-line passing shot, which she did numerous times uh, throughout this match. You look at the Infosys stats for Halep. You know, she's plus five on the backhand passing shot, plus one on the forehand passing shot, but that's seven winners, three forced errors against nine unforced errors. As good as Muguruza was putting pressure on Halep, that she kept repeatedly coming up with the goods from as far behind the baseline as she was is a testament to how well Simona Halep was moving, was playing. And let's be clear, not only did she have set points in the first set, but Simona Halep served for the second set. She was up 5-4 in that second set, had the chance to extend the match to the third. But Muguruza, credit to her, she's plus six on her forehand volley shots, plus four on her backhand volley shots, plus three on the forehand overhead plus one on the backhand overhead she moved forward she wasn't afraid and it's why her frame you're right the fact that she's able to play matches on her terms I think that's why she's had as much success as she has and look we talked about it yesterday these were both two-time Grand Slam champions they both won Wimbledon and French Opens Garbine Muguruza now by making the finals uh, she is one you know she is Oh, one match away from having three of the four slam titles already under her belt by age 26. I, I know she was unseated coming into this, but she has thrown herself right back in there in the mix with the Halops, with the Pliskovas, and then obviously the young quartet of Osaka Andrescu Bencic. If Muguruza can keep this level up, I don't see why she can't just win this Grand Slam, but multiple Grand Slams this season. Yeah, I mean, it's just a about keeping that consistency right and and with the coaching staff she now has it looks like she's in a good place and in this match sorry I got to go back to this she 100% dictated through this match I know you said you didn't completely disagree with me but she had double the amount of winners she came to the net 30 times versus Halop's five like this was on Muguruza's racket yeah Halop came up with some winners definitely some shots on the run as she always does occasionally she's able to step in and do it but for the most part this is Muguruza pushing the issue and Ultimately, for her to win, that's how she's going to need to play as well as she goes into the finals. So, again, I'm not completely disagreeing with you, and we can move on from this match in a second. But for both players, Halep, 11 of 25 on the second serve, 44%. That's Muguruza dictating. But for Muguruza, 15 of 36, 42% on the second serve. That She she hit 39 winners against 44 unforced errors. I, I know the match was played on Muguruza's terms, but that's what Halep, Halep wants you to you know press, to make those extra errors, to, be, sure. to think, I need to pull the winner. So I, I just wanted to say it's not— 
not fair to say, you know, Muguruza dominated uh, each point in and out. And I'm not saying that's what you are saying. I'm just saying, you know, Simona Halep, I I think she executed the game plan she wanted and she had chances. She just wasn't able to take advantage of them. Yeah, I mean, stylistically, like we said, that's that's how Halep plays. I mean, similar to how I used to play, right? Like, I felt comfortable even if I wasn't dictating the point, right? Very, uh, very rarely was the, quote, match on my racket, right? I made it on other people's. I make you have to execute, right? So she does a very similar thing in this regard and ultimately Muguruza was up to the task and you know hit enough winners got enough points in the big moments to to get it done introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com I love that. I know you're a former Denison men's tennis uh, superstar, but to compare yourself to Simona Halep, that's damn good content. I love that. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's fair, and that's why Muguruza was able to swing through. She's been able to swing through everyone she's faced this week, and I think she's going to certainly, if she continues this level, enter Saturday's women's singles final as the favorite. The reason I say that, you look at who she's going to take up now in the as a result of our other semifinal, the number 14 seed and 21-year-old Sophia Kennan. She's dropped one set throughout the tournament, and she continues that trend here, knocking off the number number one seed and Australian Open favorite Ashley Barty, Australian Open, excuse me, Australian home crowd favorite Ashley Barty, 7-6-7-5. I don't even know where to begin with this match, Jamie. We sort of alluded to it in the last one. This is another one of those, you know, Ashley Barty had two set points in both sets, and and Kennan just the steadier of the two players. She did maybe what... Uh, I, I don't think it's fair to say she did what Halp couldn't because I think it's to say Muguruza did what Barty couldn't. But Sophia Kennan, again, she just... Whether it's the drop shot, lob combo, whether it's the slice, the discipline she showed attacking Ashley Barty's backhand. What a result from the young American. Yeah, I mean, this is a phenomenal result for her to get into the Australian Open Finals. So many different obstacles. Like you said, don't know where to start. But let's start here. The fact that, like you mentioned, Ash Barty, the hometown favorite, has a huge following behind her. The young American, though, stood up to the task and ended up getting through it in straights. And, you know, it's interesting to me. There's a lot of things you can say as you go play by play here. I mean, I think the first that we already talked about a little bit is just the nerves and the level of play here, particularly at the beginning of the match just wasn't where it was for for both the one seed and the 14 seed. Yeah, and you, you talk about four uh, Muguruza and Halep, two-time slam champions. Ashley Barty, she did win a Grand Slam last year, but she's never played in a semifinal in front of a home crowd. There are a hundred, you know, as much of an advantage as that is, there are a hundred percent factor of nerves that are going to play into your opening level, the adrenaline rush when you come out on that Rod Laver Arena to a roaring, ruckus Australian crowd. Uh, I, dare I say, we sort of saw the same thing happen to her last year in the Fed Cup final when Kiki Mladen Denovich was able uh, to win the third set. And now I'm not doubting Ashley Barty's chops. She's a Grand Slam champion that she made the semifinals here is a testament to her talent, obviously. Uh, but for Sophia Kennan, look, I-, I mentioned this. Her discipline in finding the backhand for Barty, for Barty, she raced out to a 6-4 lead in that first set tiebreaker. 
for the next three points, Kennan had a game plan, and it was add side, add side, add side. I'm going to force Ashley Barty to hit backhand slices. I'm going to, you know, open up the court for myself, wait until there's a, a slice that hits that I can either take the forehand cross court or do whatever I want with it. And what was funny is Ashley Barty was keenly aware, as she always is, that that was Kennan's game plan. And to set up that 6-4 lead, Barty got two looks at forehands and hit two winners off them. That Kennan then, the next three points, lulled Barty into errors on that 8-7 Kennan serving point. Barty gets a look at a forehand return, and I felt that she felt the need to go after it because forehands came few and far between in this match, and it was a forced error from Barty that gave Kennan the first set, and to me, that's this match in a nutshell. Kennan just you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. I keep saying it. It's the idea that she is not going to beat yourself and she's going to hit funky angles. She's going to make you uncomfortable. And I think she did that today and executed the game plan perfectly against the number one player in the world in Ashley Barty. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned particularly, let's go back a little bit, particularly when you're talking about once Ash Barty got the opportunity to have a forehand, I think you're, I think you're right on it. it. It put more pressure on that particular shot because in her mind, oh, this is it, right? And so I saw multiple times at the end of a long rally, say 20 shots, Ash Barty finally gets the forehand and then just overcooks it, goes for too much, goes too close to the line. And I'm going to sound like you here, but this is a testament to Kennan and her, I mean, just grit throughout this match and her understanding of what she needed to do. And it puts so much pressure on Ash Barty that, you know, she gets to the forehand, the shot that she wants, how she wants this point to be set up and just isn't able to execute because of sort of the wear um, and once again, pressure that Kenan was able to display and put on her throughout this match. And it's unfortunate too, right? Because Ash Barty did have opportunities that she created, got herself the forehand, and then just missed an open court forehand. We saw that numerous times. And, you know, you start to think, especially in a match with as tight of margins as this one, 7-6, 7-5, a couple of those points go a different way. Ash Barty, you know, obviously could have won this match. And so that's difficult to talk about, particularly for her. You know, I'm sure this match meant so much to her, particularly if you listen to her press conference after, you know that. Um, But ultimately, a great win for Sophia Kennan, and she's got to feel good about getting through this one to go to the finals. From these Infosys stats, plus Ashley Barty, three winners, one forced error, 18 unforced errors on the backhand side, minus 14. Yeah. That was the Kennan game plan, and to point to just a couple of other points before we run through the overlying stats real quick. Uh, Ashley Barty served for the second set as well. She was yeah. up 5-4. She got to 40-15, had two set points for herself on those instances. The first one, Kennan got Barty stretched on the backhand side, with uh, forced the slice out of her. Kennan then goes drop shot volley uh, to get drop shot and... Barty gets there, but then easy put away volley to get that match point fought off. On the second one, Ashley Barty gets a clean look at a forehand, and she overcooks it down the line. So you're right. It's the, the both instances, Kennan finding the backhand, Barty feeling pressure to turn on a forehand, uh, both lead to errors from Barty or a winner from Kennan to get the match, uh, to extend the set. And then on the match point, I think Kennan, it, it epitomized match. Kennan goes into the backhand, into the backhand, into the backhand. Barty slices down the line to try and open up a Kennan forehand to her own forehand, and Kennan just too big with a forehand cross court there, forces the error from Barty, secures the match, advances to the first Grand Slam final of her career, 
And look, she's dropped one set on her way to this yeah. final. Sophia Kennan makes 70, uh, 70% of her first serves, wins 69% of those points, 63% of her second serve points, 16 winners against 25 unforced errors, but she let Barty beat herself. She goes 7-11 at the, uh, at the net compared to Barty 3-11, of which you expect to see more than that from Ashley Barty. They both only have four break points. Kennan converts two of them. Barty converts one of them. 81 total points for Kennan, 78 total Total points for Barty. The margins were that close, but in the biggest moment, Sophia Kennan was able to come through. Yeah, and, and the one out of those that, that I really want, well, talking about serve specifically, that I want to talk about is the win percentage on the second serve for Kennan because she wins 63% of those second serve points. She had 15 of 24. Guess what? When you look at the stats of how her serve actually looked, her second serve average speed was 83 miles an hour. So it's not like she was cranking them in right she was just setting up the point off of her second serve and to me yes testament to kennan doing well able to protect that second serve ultimately though i think that's a big missed opportunity on the part of ash Barty. she is getting so many clean looks off of second serves and ultimately you're still letting kennan win 63 percent of them to me that number's way too high for ash Barty. It's because Kennan found the backhand. I mean, that's what she did. She placed the serve well. She didn't allow Barty to just unleash on a first forehand. Barty did a couple of times. But, you know, for Kennan, she won 55% of her second serve points against Jabour. Against Coco Goff, she won 54% of her second serve. She uh, is really good at setting yeah. up the points for herself. And I know we're going to preview that Muguruza Kennan final tomorrow. But you do worry for Sophia Kennan. Her one weakness, I think, is she can get hit off the court. Again, it takes a special talent to do that, but Muguruza is that talent, and I think we can both agree, just initial reaction, you know, as Kennan's going to need her wide variety of tools, because, you know, in playing a great counterpuncher in Simona Halep, Muguruza knows exactly what to expect, and I think, once again, the match is probably going to be played on her terms. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, it's hard to doubt Sophia Kennan's, you know, given what we've seen from her and getting out of tough situations. But yeah, I mean, Muguruza's got to go in the favorite here. Not only stylistically is she playing something in a little similar to what we just saw her come through, also just so many experience factors come into play here, particularly on the biggest stage finals of a Grand Slam. Um, going to be a fun one. And like you said, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah, look, for these two players, Muguruza up to 16 in the live rankings. She wins this tournament. She will get to number 12. For Sophie Kennan, she's number 9 right now. New career high in the live rankings. She jumped Naomi Osaka. She's jumped Patrick Kvitova, Madison Keys. A win in the Grand Slam will get her all the way up to number 7 in the world. Uh, but she'll jump Serena and Kiki Bertens. I think for both of these players, no matter how that final goes, absolute wins to start their season. And we will talk about that final again more on tomorrow's podcast when we preview uh, the women's final. But there was one men's match to talk about. It was our other semifinals last night. We wa- uh, Last night we had uh, quarterfinal action, so part two semifinal will be our preview uh, match after this. But first we have to talk about a result that I think we all expected. Novak Djokovic, the number two seed, he hasn't dropped a set since the first round when he dropped one to Jan Leonard Struve, taking on the number three seed, Roger Federer, in their 50th ever 
ATP head-to-head match. Uh, Roger Federer in this one races out, not only breaks Djokovic, I think, in his first two service games, but races out to a 4-1 love 40 lead on the Djokovic service game in that first set. You knew he was going to need a kick of energy as Roger Federer has played 14 sets over his last three matches. Uh, But sadly, it wasn't quite enough. Novak Djokovic doing what he does best on a hard court, extending points, weathering the storm. He takes this match 7-6-6-4-6-3. I'm not going to lie, of all the three matches, Jamie, this is the one I watched the least of, and it was because it it was a lot of what I expected. With all due respect to Roger Federer, who knew he had to play aggressive and was clearly pressing as often as possible, 20 of 30 at the net in these three sets, uh, 46 winners against 35 unforced errors, which in reality, you'd be like, hey, that's pretty good. Uh, but he came up against Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, you look at the winner unforced air differential. That's not too bad. Um, but like you said, when you're be- when you're playing against Djokovic to-, to beat him, those stats have to be impeccable, and you have to do the right things when you have opportunities. And I would say the one surprising thing about this match is the start that Federer had. I mean, that was great, um, and probably encouraged a lot of folks who were worried about the same things that we were. Right, Federer gassed from the long matches, physically not holding up. Uh, you know, he has a couple of nagging injuries and. Realistically, from a scoreline perspective, this is exactly what we talked about. Straight set win for Djokovic. Maybe Fed gets to one tie break. I mean, this is exactly what we talked about. So in that aspect, not surprising at all. Um, You know, Djokovic and Federer both talked about how Federer wasn't feeling great physically. Djokovic mentioned it in the um, on-court interview. Federer mentioned it in his press conference. But, um, you know, as usual, didn't didn't say that, you know, Djokovic didn't deserve it by any means. Um, and, And I think for me... Ultimately, Djokovic is in the finals of the Australian Open. Yeah, and that's what we expect. <laughs> uh, having you know, having dabbled as a play-by-play commentator, Jamie, having experienced that realm, it's mm-hmm. it's tough to find stuff to talk about. You're just like, oh my god, we got to you know, what was this match? An hour and a half, an hour forty-five, two hours, like eighteen minutes. You got to find stuff to talk about for the the duration of those two hours, but. I mean, I didn't need to hear every other break. And you know Federer's back is hurting him. And you know his knee is hurting him. And you know, right. by the way, how injured he is. It's like, yes, we are all aware this is not Roger Federer at his best. And I do think that 4-1 lead he took was very misleading because Djokovic had break points in that first service game for Federer. He had break points in that second service game for Federer at 1-2. Him serving, he was up 40-15 before Federer broke him again. I think Djokovic was the one entering this match a little more nervous. It's always difficult to play, you know, one of your biggest contemporaries, one of your biggest rivals in one of the biggest stages of tennis. You add in the fact that Djokovic was clearly a favorite. Everyone assumed Roger was injured. Djokovic should cruise. You could see those sort of nerves on him uh, in his demeanor. You could also see when he won that second set, let out a huge roar, and he's gotten some backlash on it from tennis Twitter today. It's, why are you yelling at Roger when he's injured? Oh, sick, bro. It's like, well, he's also still trying to compete and make a major final like let's be clear here Roger Federer being injured does not mean Novak Djokovic should step off the gas at any point and I think that he won this match in straight sets not only bodes well for him um as team and zero are going to be battling tonight, but he just, he made it look routine for Djokovic. You know, he made 73% of his first serves, won 73% of those points, 54% of his second serve points, an efficient 11 of 12 at the net, 31 winners against 18 unforced errors. Yeah, no, not only does Novak Djokovic, you know, plus eight on the forehand, plus four on the backhand from uh, plus four, plus three in terms of passing shots as well. Everything looked good for Novak Djokovic. He was the favorite entering this tournament for a reason. I think people, after he uh, 
lost at the U.S. Open after he was dealing with injuries. We wondered, okay, is that elbow injury going to linger? What do we know about Djokovic's health? Of course, then he comes out and looked so good in the ATP Cup, and he looks just as good now. I mean, he, there's a, he is the favorite entering the final no matter what happens in Zverev and uh, in team's match. Yeah, definitely. And we've said that from the beginning too, right? So this is this comes as no surprise. Um, and yeah, here we are, Djokovic in the finals, not shocked at all. I don't yeah, think anyone no. is. No, I, and I think that's enough on that match because we've all seen Federer Djokovic matches and this was not the highest level. But for Novak Djokovic, he gets to sit back in his hotel room, rest his feet, and watch tonight's men's semifinal, which is the only match we are going to be previewing today. I am, of course, referring to the semifinal going on between the number seven seed, Alex Zverev, and the number uh, five seed, Dominic Team. Now, you look at their career head-to-heads going into this one. Team 6-2 and two all-time against Zverev. He's four years his senior. You look in terms of uh, experience for uh, Dominic Team. he's been in two semifinals and two French Open finals over the last four years. By the way, think about this. The last four losses for Dominic Team at the French Open have been Djokovic in, 27, uh, in 2016 in semifinal, Nadal, 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 semifinal, final, final. Just saying, I don't know, I don't know if we're ready to make Dominic Team the favorite heading into the clay court season, but we're inching there. Um, for Dominic Team and Zverev, the last time they played was at that ATP finals in 2019, Team taking a 7-5-6-3 win. They've played twice at Grand Slams, both at the French Open, both times Dominic Team emerging as a winner. Zverev did get one of his wins over Team on a Hard court. It came all the way back in Beijing 2016. Zverev, a 4 6 6 1 6 3 winner then. In fact, they've only played three of their matches on hard courts. That Beijing matchup, they played in Rotterdam 2017 indoors. Dominic Team, a three set winner there. Uh, and they played last year again in the World Tour Finals on hard. Dominic Team, a straight set winner there. So, what this tells me on clay, Team would for sure be the favorite. On indoor hard court, team would for sure be the pl- favorite. They've only played once outdoor on hard courts. Zverev won that match in three. What this tells me, Jamie, is I expect a long physical tennis match in this one. Yeah, perhaps. But also, I wouldn't draw too much on the match from four years ago. Um, I don't think that's fair. I think they've grown a lot as players, particularly team, with the experience he has gained. To me, team comes into this a favorite um, I mean, look, Zverev has looked good. His win in the last round, of course, impressive. Teams even more impressive, you know, being able to withstand a one seed in Rafa Nadal, getting that win over him in a majors, always huge, no matter the, the circumstance, right? Um, yeah, you mentioned it. it's going to be a physical matchup. Um, a lot of interesting dynamics here. Of course, they know each other's game. They've played with and against each other for so long now. Um, there's a lot of things you could say at the, about this one. I mean, I, I don't know exactly where to begin, but for me, are you thinking five-setter? I don't know. So I have a bet for you that, uh, okay. that that's what we'll get to, yes. It's the over-under. Okay. Yeah, that'll be one of our takes. But the over-under is 40 games, which oh, is boy. like, let's say it goes 7-5, seven, 5-7, five, five, seven, you know, 6-2, six, 6-4. Six, that's 40 games. So you're getting, you know— Five sets, I think, does get you over that 40-game threshold for sure, and I, I do expect that's what we're going to see because I, there's no doubt Alex Fierov will come out nervous. I mean, we all saw that Stan Wawrinka first set. It's his first Grand Slam semifinal. He's talked about how much this moment means to him versus Dominic Team, who has just been all business, all tournament long. Now, the flip side of that is you look at their records. Zverev's lost one set along the way. You know, five matches, he's played uh, a minimum amount of sets total. He's played 16 out of, you know, 
know, the minimum is 15, so he's played one bonus. Dominic Team was stretched a bunch early in this tournament, and I know he's looked better and better as the tournament's progressed, but, you know, those five sets he played against Alex Bolt, those four sets he played against Taylor Fritz, four long physical sets against Rafa Nadal, and to beat Rafa Nadal, you can only imagine how much that takes out of you. Zverev's the fresher player, right? So you think that the longer this goes, the more it may advantage him. Plus, Zverev's got the one, the biggest weapon probably of any player, of either of the players in his first serve, and the way he's been serving so well throughout this tournament, uh, that does bode well for him. But at the same time, Dominic Team wants to slug away from the baseline. And you know who gives you a bunch of opportunities to slug away from the baseline? Alex Zverev. So... I do think this is that I I don't have a definitive winner or loser favorite, but I do think this is going to be a long match. I do agree with you, Jamie. I would not be shocked at all to see it extended to a fifth. Yeah, and I mean, I've said it before. I said it yesterday's pod as well, but if Zverev plays the type of game that he plays, I don't know. If he plays like he did against Bavrinka, he will lose this match. Um, You mentioned it. Dominic Team likes to slug away. We saw what somebody who's on a roll slugging away looks like in Vavrinka's 6-1 first set against Zverev. You couple that with the fact that Zverev will have some nerves. Now, of course, the equalizer, as you mentioned already, is Zverev's first serve. If he's serving well, that's going to keep him in this match pretty much regardless. Um, you know, there's there's going to be opportunity. It's probably going to be a long match. The team is going to give him some opportunities on the return games for Zverev, so there's going to be chances there. To me, though, if his default is just to back up and let Dominic dictate um, and hit forehands, run around forehands, he's in so much trouble. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you there. I also think, though, that the Zverev backhand in this instance is going to work in his favor because, uh, you know, keep going to that team backhand side. Now, that team doesn't have firepower, but Zverev can just constantly attack, 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 attack. So I, I do think it's going to be an interesting matchup. I'll ask you for a pick. Who you got tonight? Oh, I think I got to go Dominic team. Um, I mean, there's definitely a scenario where Zverev pulls this out, particularly if he's serving well, but I think you just got to go Dominic Team. Yeah, I I get uh, why you would say, wait, can I not parlay all of these? What the bejeez? Um, all right, sorry, that's just me lining up all of my takes for later. Yeah, I get why you're leading that way. He's the more experienced. He's the guy who's been there. He's played, you know, he just played his best match against Rafa Nadal. How could you see his level of play and not enjoy his chances? I haven't. Even, I feel like we haven't talked about Zverev at all, and like that's why he's done well because I continue to not jinx him. Do I want to put the reverse jinx and pick well, team? You pretty reverse much already j- did. <laughs> so I know the reverse jinx worked when I picked Illinois in the ITA kickoff pot, and then my Wolverines ended up coming through. I just have this feeling, though. I really do think it's Alex Zverev's time. I think he's like, look, enough with this garbage. Like I, I am a top four player in the world. I'm as good as anyone not named Djokovic and Rafa on their best days. Uh, I And I think Zverev would honestly think he's a better player right now in 2020 than Roger Federer, um, which we could argue about at a different time. Um, I'll take Zverev. Whatever. I want to differ I mean, from fair. you somewhere. So I will roll with Alex Zverev. But again, for me, the biggest number in this is the over. And I think that's the one uh, for all of us to be watching. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, with that in mind, only one thing left to do, bit of a shorter mini break today because we just have less matches to talk about. But we don't want to leave you without doing our newest segment here, something that's become a staple of these Australian Open mini break podcasts. It's time for a little good take, bad take, hot take. Westoff, can I get a sound effect, please? All right, Jamie, let's start with you. You got a good take for me? I do. I'm trying to think of my order. Uh, How many do you have today? I have three ones lined up. I only have one for you, so rock and roll whatever you want. Then I'm definitely going to go first. All right. (laughs) So I'm going to read you a list of names. Ready? Yep. Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Chilich, Del Potro, Murray, Vavrinka. Out of all the names I just read you, only Djokovic and Nadal will win another major. Uh, wow, that was good. First of all, good take. Um, because I always have good take. Come on, I always, yeah. I always throw you a good one. Oh, <laughs> uh, me and Simona Halep are comparables. I don't know if that was a good take. Uh, no, but that was so. Wawrinka, no. Ugh, I love you, Andy, but no. Chilich, no. Delpo just too injured, and you know my thoughts on Federer. Yeah damn good take. I mean, you didn't throw team in there. You didn't throw any of the next-gen guys, so I I couldn't disagree with you. I think Nadal's the favorite. I had Roland Garros. I know I talked about team, but it's Nadal's to lose until he loses it. Um, 93-2 and two speaks for itself. And yeah, Djokovic is a beast. He's probably three days away from Grand Slam number 17. So yeah, good take, Jamie. Very good take. Appreciate it. All right, you want next? Yeah, sure. I'll just throw in my bet of the day. So not too many Australian Open matches to for us to discuss. I think it's it would be hard to base any bet around that sort of action. But I do have a bet for you mixing and matching some things from across the uh, tennis world. Sound good? Oh, boy. Here we go. All right. The only Australian Open matches, I think, is we talked about why Zverev and team could go over. That over-under is 40 and a half. It's minus 105 for the over, minus 125 for the under. I'm going to take the over on that one. I just like that. Um, and then I'm going to take Maddox Sands and Jamie Murray over Astra Sharma and J.P. Smith. That's a match I talked about yesterday. It gets played today. I think they're the favorites. Uh, but then we throw in three non-Australian Open events, and there's a fantastic tournament going on right now in Newport Beach, a challenger for the men, 125K for the women. Here are my three matches I want to bet on from there. Taylor Fritz over Mitchell Kruger, Miomir Kasmenovic over Daniel Galan, and Taylor Townsend over Alina Kelanina. Um, you do those things. Fritz, Kasmenovic, Townsend, Maddox, Sands, Murray, and the over 40 and a half. You get four to one odds. Good take, bad take, hot take. You know, you're much more of a betting man than, than myself. I'm, I try to avoid that um, to at least some degree. But if I'm going to bet on that, that's a pretty good take, actually. I like those. Yeah, I, I'm not even saying I'm going to bet, by the way, listeners. I don't bet on 90% of the takes I yes, throw he out does. on here. <laughs> He's a degenerate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I only bet on the ones I win, right? Um, I've never lost before, ever. Correct. Um, but, no, I just – I think if you're going to mix things up, that's the way to go. And I think Kesmanovich and Fritz are locks, and I love Taylor Townsend. So it just gives you rooting interest throughout throughout the day. Sure. Okay. Well, in that case, the, my next take, uh, this, this solidifies the order. Um, along those lines, pun intended, let's say the line for Djokovic Majors 1 this year, so in 2020, is 2.5, and, and I take the over. Good take, bad take, hot take. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, 2.5 is the freaking number, by the way. Um, 
Man, I mean, we've seen him sort of slow down by the U.S. Open these past couple of years. Didn't he win 2018 U.S. Open? No, but the year before that, right? Rafa won. So 2019 U.S. Open, Rafa won. No, and right? 17. And 17. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm saying there is a world, you know, two out of the past three years, Djokovic hasn't made it fully healthy to the end of the season. That being said, man, I mean, uh, if he's not going to win now, the window will close because Zverev team getting to the semifinal, the next-gen guys aren't going to lose forever. Like, just eventually, you know, there has, I think Ben Rothenberg used to call it the Milos Raonic test. It's like, eventually Milos Raonic is going to be good enough just by virtue of being in his prime when everyone else isn't, uh, that he's going to win a slam. Now, that hasn't borne true, but, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a good take, duh. I, it's a little hot because it's coming off of his, how good he's looked in Australia, and, no, it's a good take. It's a good take. All right. I, yeah, of course it's a good take. All right. All right. I got one more for you then. I was going to say, I, let me throw a bonus one at you. Oh, you want a bonus I, one? I can, Go for yeah. it. Muguruza just knocked off Halep. She's 26. Halep's 28. They both have two grand slams at this point. Muguruza ends up with more slam titles than Halep. Good take, bad take, hot take. It's a hot take. Um, yeah, given what sure. we've seen, Halep's been around the top for so long and shown that consistency. Had more chances to take titles that she hasn't at the, uh, on the grand slam level. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a fun take to take Muguruza at this point, right, because of the level we've seen from her. But ah, that's that's a little hot, given the fact that Halep has proved so much at the top. Yeah, I agree. That's literally as hot as it came out, you know, after she just beat her. Um, but Perfect. yeah, all right, last one for me. All right, within the next three years, an Aussie woman will win at the Australian and an American woman will win at the U.S. Open. Within the next three? Mm-hmm. Duh, these are good. I gotta step up my game for this weekend. These are good freaking takes. Wow. Uh, it's a little hot, without a doubt. You're saying that one of, but it's not hot because you're saying one of Serena Keys, Sloan, Kennan, Anisimova, Goff, Bellis, Greens, Beans, Potatoes, Tomatoes, like all these different things. All these different players could win the U.S. Open. They could. The thing is, it's Barty or Tomjanovic for the women's side, for Australia. And it's like, could Barty do it? Sure. But so could a lot of other people. I, I, so it's a hot take, but a good take. A good hot take. Mm, that's what. That's really what we're searching for in these, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's not a bad take, which is what we try to avoid at all costs. Um, but <laughs> what, p- people who never have, you know, bad takes, everything coming out of them, good and hot, are super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, who we always want to give a shout-out to because they have a of an editing job to do if you have missed any of the australian open you want to get caught up before finals weekend commences be sure to check out our website crackedrackets.com we've been mini breaking throughout the week so if there's any of the days you miss maybe you missed day six maybe you missed day eight you know maybe you missed day three and you're like oh is there a podcast where i can learn exactly what happened on those days yes there is and it's probably with me and jamie from these mini break podcasts and of course as always please go light rate subscribe review them on the great shot podcast Podcast front college tennis is what we're covering. ITA kickoff weekends recaps uh, on that GSP feed on Cracked Interviews. Got to sit down with Braden Schnur, talk to him. He's in competition at Newport Beach this weekend as well. So if you want to hear about his mindset, go give that a listen. And of course, for the more immediate day-to-day updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube for all of our social media content. It's at Cracked Rackets. Want to give a shout out once again to our sponsors, Diadem uh, Tennis and Aerobar, who make these podcasts possible. 
Use our promo code at DiademCR50 to get 50% off your order of rackets and strings at Aerobar. That tennis-specific energy bar sounds oh so good right now during this lunch break. And you can get 30% off if you order right now. Use our promo code CRACKED30 to get 30% off your first order. Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? Go team. Nah, I don't know. Go Zverev too. Honestly, win-win. I, I When you said go team in my head, I thought T-E-A-M, and now it occurs to me that Dominic team is the person playing tonight. Yeah, let's just go five sets, right? That's what we're or, rooting for. Or honestly, go straight sets so that one of them has a good chance against Djokovic so that and, we can have something interesting. So if there's only two matches for us to talk about, here's a final over-under for you. Good take, bad take, hot take. Oh, Tomorrow's God. podcast will be over 30 minutes. If you're on it, over. <laughs> it's a good take. I mean, it's just simple. Yeah. We could be talking about like you know, Penn versus Wilson balls, and it would go two hours. So I don't, I don't know. It seems obvious. Maybe we bring out some of the changeover chats we have mm, in the queue tomorrow, just for some time filler. But for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, for our super producers Fligner and Westoff, our sponsors Aerobar and Diadem Tennis, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jimmy, what do we tell everyone? That's a break. And we hope you enjoy a one-match Thursday night. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 